You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So whether you're in person or whether you're online, I want to invite you to Esther chapter 4 this morning. That's where we're going to be looking, and I'll begin this way. Could your marriage maybe use a little bit of help? Do you want to be maybe a more loving and supportive spouse? Maybe in parenting, do you you want to be more effective as a parent? You know, do you want to be a child that honors their father and mother, even as your parents get older and the, the roles seem to reverse? Do you want to be a good student? Do you want to be a valued employee, uh, an inspiring boss, one that people want to work for you? Do you want to be helpful to those people that you live around? But the best way to ask it would be, do you want to be someone that one day gets to hear Jesus look you in the eye and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? And if that's not you, I don't have anything for you this morning. You can go ahead and pack up. And, uh, but if you do, if that is you, we're going to see two things from Esther this morning. Two ingredients that she has that makes all of these things possible. So here's where we left off last week. Because there's this man named Haman, an evil man because of his pride, because of his hatred. And with the king, because of his his passiveness and even his stupidity, a genocide, a death warrant has been put out for all the Jews. They estimate that there were 15 million Jews in the Persian Empire. So as they're preparing for Passover, we find them in full terror that a death warrant has been put out for them. And this is where chapter 4 of Esther picks up, and we'll make it through chapter 4 today. So let's look at verse 1. He says, when Mordecai, and I said it wrong a few weeks ago, Mordecai and Esther were not uncle and niece. They were cousins. When he learned all that had been done, talking about the death warrant, the genocide on the Jews, notice what he does. He tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, and begins to cover himself with ashes. Then he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out in a loud and bitter voice. What is important is that Mordecai is a Jew. And everyone knows that. He hasn't hid it from them. And he does this as a sign of great mourning and distress in the midst of the city. Out where everyone can see him. He wants them to see this is a public protest of how this decree is now affecting me. And notice where he goes in verse 2. He went to the entrance of the king's gate, and that's going to be important. For no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. So he's in the city, he goes to the palace, there's a huge gate, and he has to stop. And you know why he has to stop there? It's because of what he's going through and what he's wearing. The king would not let anyone through the gate that was dressed in sackcloth. 
It's because the king did not want to allow other people's burdens, their, their distress, their, their sorrows. He didn't want to let that into his protected palace. He wanted to be isolated from everyone else's pain and struggles and sorrow. He wanted no part of it. He did not want to be bothered by anyone's problems. But remember that. So in verse 3, it tells us that the Jews in the entire empire were in terror and lamenting, except one. There's one Jew that isn't acting like everyone else, and you find out who it is in verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, but here's what they tell her. They tell her about Mordecai. She was deeply distressed because her uncle is in mourning. He's in sackcloth. He's got ashes covering his head. So what does she do? She sent garments to clothe him so that he might take off his sackcloth but he would not accept them. And here's the reason. Esther's in the palace. She's behind the gate. She doesn't know anything about the decree, the death warrant that has gone out to the Jews. She simply hears that Mordecai is wearing these clothes, but he refuses. So she sends someone to find out what's wrong. In verses 5-9, through nine, there's a man named Hathach. He was somebody eunuch that would... Uh, that would help take care of her. And so Mordecai goes to him and tells him all that has happened in great detail. In those verses, it tells you he knows the exact amount of money. He even holds a copy of the order to exterminate all the Jews. And he says, take this to Esther and tell her everything that is going on. But notice what he says in verse 8. He says, go to the king. Plead, beg on behalf of your people. In the past, he's told her to keep it a secret. But now he is asking her to go before the king and identify herself as a Jew. But when she hears this, she kind of makes a pause and says, Oh, hold on, Mordecai. It's not that easy. Look at verse 10 and 11. So then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know, they know this, that if any man or woman goes inside the king's intercourt without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to the king these 30 days. So she says, Mordecai, do you understand what you're saying? Everyone knows this. No one can go unannounced, uninvited to the king, or they can be put to death. So notice this. Not only does the king want himself isolated from everyone's pain, from their struggles, uh, from their discomfort. He wants to be separated from all of that. Not only that, he doesn't want to be inconvenienced and he doesn't want to be interrupted. But remember that. So Esther says, Mordecai, if I do this, do you understand I am putting my own life on the line? Do you remember Vashti? Do, do you remember her, Mordecai? 
worse could happen to me. So word is sent back to Mordecai, and he responds in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. He says, Esther, I know exactly what I am asking you to do. And he says, do not think that you're going to be safe just because you're in the palace. I know Haman, and I know he will not stop with anything less than complete destruction. And that will include even finding out who you really are. But then he says something amazing. Because you remember the strange thing about Esther, there's, there, the word of God is not mentioned. You never see prayer. You never see worship. There's no miracles. This is the closest we get in verse 14. Mordecai says, For if you keep silent, or if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. He says, If you don't act, deliverance is going to come from another place. So this is what I think Mordecai is doing. I think he's remembering back to the Abrahamic covenant. I think he is thinking back to God's past promises, even though he doesn't mention God by name. But then he says, but you and your father's house will perish. He means it, it doesn't mean that every Jew might be killed, but perhaps it might include you in your family. Imagine what it might be when the king finds out that you are a Jew. But then he says something that has to stop Esther in her tracks. I believe it's the most powerful line of this entire book. And he says, and who knows? Perhaps, just maybe, you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And think about how that must have struck Esther. People probably thought she was there because of her beauty. She might have thought she was there for her ability to please the king. Maybe she's there because she's submissive, unlike Vashti. But Mordecai says, maybe you are a Jew. You are queen of Persia for such a time as this. For this very moment, that is why you are where you are. And so Esther now faces the most important decision of her entire life. So what is she going to do? Look at verse 15 and 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days and three nights. I and my young women will also fast. So she calls for a three-day fast of preparation. And then she says, then, after three days, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. Notice what she says. And if I perish, I perish. Meaning, if I die, I die. And I am okay with that. 
So then Mordecai went away and he did everything as Esther has ordered to do. And next week, we're going to see how that plays out. But at this point, there are so many points of application I wish we had time to draw. Because there are so many. So for time's sake, I want to share two of them. I first of all want to show you the two ingredients that Esther had to have in order to be able to help her, her people. And it's the same two ingredients if we want to be the people God desires us to be, including in our marriages, as parents, in our places of business, in our neighborhoods, in our church. It's the same two ingredients that we must have to be who God's called us to be. And the first one is this. She had to be willing to leave the palace or her place of comfort. Because remember where she is. She's in this palace. She is separated from everyone's pain, from their struggles, from uh, their distress. And she could have ignored Mordecai. She could have been like the king and says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. You stay outside the gate. So she had to decide something. She had to decide what is more important. My place of comfort or the lives of those around me. She had to choose to identify with their sorrow and their pain and their distress. She had to be willing to leave her place or her palace of comfort. And if we're going to be willing to help other people, if we're going to be better spouses or parents or children or employers, employees, all of those things, we must be willing to identify with people's pain, what they're going through, their struggles, their loss, their burdens. Unlike the king that would not even allow bad news in his presence. So the first ingredient is you must be willing to leave our palaces of comfort. But there's a second ingredient that we see from Esther. She had to be willing to stand in the gap. And that's an interesting phrase. In fact, it comes from Ezekiel 22.30. You see, a city, their protection was their wall. That was their security. And if there was ever a breach in that wall, ever a hole, a damage to that wall, in order to protect those that lived inside there, someone or a group of people would have to go and to stand in the gap of that wall to defend off any, any intruder. They had to be willing to intercede for the people behind them. So Esther, she had to be willing to stand in the gap. She had to be willing to take some risk. And she identified it. She says, if I perish, I perish. She had to be willing to give her life. The same is true for us. If we're going to be helpful people, if we're going to be the people God has called us to be in our marriages, in our homes, in our places, wherever it might be, we have to be willing to stand in the gap. We have to be willing to take some risk. It might be risking time. It might be putting your inconveniences on the line. At times it might be money. A lot of times it's our energy. But we have to be willing to take some risk. So if we want to be the people God has called us to be, that He desires us to be, if we want to be the people that God needs us to be to those closest to us, 
then we have to be willing to leave our palaces of comfort and we have to be willing to stand in the gap. But there's a second application. And if I was a good preacher, I, I would just tell you this. Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to go and be more like Esther. You need to have more courage like Esther. You, you need to be willing to leave your palace of comfort like Esther. You, you need to be willing to stand in the gap like Esther. But I'm not going to do that. Because I know this about me, and it's probably true about you. That is going to crush you. You won't be able to do that. Maybe for a while, but it won't take long that I know I want to run as fast as I can back to my palace of comfort. I know there will come a time where the risks are just too much and too painful, and I will not be willing to stand in the gap. So the message is not, go and be more like Esther, because she is not the hero of this story. What you need to do is look beyond Esther. You need to see the one who has placed Esther where she is as the queen of Persia for such a time as this. So in fact, to be the neighbors we're meant to be, to be the children we're meant to be, to be the parents we're meant to be, to be the friend or church member or spouse we are meant to be, we must see Jesus, you must see Jesus as your Savior. Not the hero of someone else, that He's done something great for someone else. You must see that He is your Savior doing it for you. That Jesus doesn't just identify with my neighbor's pain. He doesn't identify with the pain of somebody that's really, really hurting. He identifies with my pain and my struggles and my sorrow. Jesus just doesn't stand in the gap for other people. He stands in the gap for me. And it starts by realizing, you know what? You don't have a king like Xerxes that wants to hide in his palace from other people's pains and their struggles. He doesn't want to be bothered by it. You have a king that left everything, that left heaven so that he could identify with your pain. You don't have a king like Xerxes that refuses to be interrupted. That wouldn't allow anybody to come in unannounced. You have a king that always has and always will stand in the gap for you. In fact, the only one who can really identify with your pain and with the pain of others, the only way we can do that is to first of all to see that Jesus identified with my pain. The only way to really stand in the gap for other people, the motivation isn't Esther, is to see that Jesus, He's the one that stood in the gap for me. And that's the only way we're ever going to be able to live up to that. Because the motivation of Esther will never be enough because she is not the hero of this story. So I want you to know, you and I, we could have been born in any time, past, present, or future. You could have been born into any family. You could have been married to anyone, your children. You could be parenting anybody's children. You could be living anywhere in the world. 
But this book is all about God's providence. And you are in the family you're in. You're living where you are now. Doing the job that you are doing now for such a time as this. And God has purpose and meaning in all of it. If there was a greater purpose, you would have been born in a different time, in a different place, to a different family, raising some different children. But you are where you are for such a time as this. And his greatest desire is that we would learn to leave our palaces of comfort and willing to stand in the gap where we are today. And next week, we will pick up with Esther. So church, pray with me. Father, this morning, it feels great to be back in your house with your people. Whether we're in person or whether we're online. Lord, as difficult as the last nine weeks have been, I'm thankful for. Because I believe I'm beginning to see the church differently. I'm beginning to see other people differently. I'm beginning to see the calling that you have on all of our lives differently. It's given us a chance to pause and to rethink and to reprioritize. I'm thankful for the ministry that has continued in the new ministry that we saw created through this pandemic. Lord, I pray that as we slowly begin to reopen, that you would keep us safe, give us wisdom. And Lord, above all, would you help us to realize that we were created for such a time as this. When it gets difficult, when it gets painful, when the burdens are heavy, that we would remember that you left, that Jesus left his palace of comfort, the ultimate palace, to identify with our pain. He always has and He always will stand in the gap for us and help us to do that for others. Lord, I ask this in His name, in the name of Jesus, and by the power of Your Spirit. Amen. So church, will you stand with me? Let me remind you of a couple of things. Don't forget to RSVP next week. Uh, we just want to make sure we have enough space because, in fact, we would have not been able to put both services together. We would not have enough room. So we want to keep configuring the room, adding chairs, adding services. So we do need you to RSVP. And Hillary told me this morning that registration is already open. So thanks for being here. Thanks for watching online. And so this morning, our benediction is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, even for such a time as this, that you may abound in every good work. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.